exactly does it mean to share your hotness? We all have our own unique spark. We are burning out of control like a wildfire, attracting attention, but is it the right kind of attention? All around us are people who are campfires. They don't get as much attention, but their story, their signature spark, their heat that attracts us close to them, those stories need to be shared. On this podcast, we're sharing their stories. Their stories of resilience, overcoming, how to find joy, happiness, everyday people who found their spark and made their life amazing. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with my guest today, aka my brother, Tyler Hurd, right? So I'm going to tell him how we met Tyler. Okay. Okay. Please we do. met at the what? Oh, I just said, please do. Yeah. I, I, you're going to be like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see, <laughs> you know, because you, know, you might razz me like a brother here. So we met at a learning to become a speaker thing. So learning how to do the contracts and like the business world. And this I'm guessing was 14, 13 years ago. Yeah. I think it was around 2010 or 11. Yeah. Somewhere in there. So, and we just got along so well that we were like, what is this? And if we were dogs in heat, we'd think it was something else, but we're not. (laughs) We decided that we were brother and sister and we look somewhat alike too. So people, Tyler does have a better beard than I do. You know? Yeah. You're rocking it there. He's got like that eight o'clock shadow going, you know? Yeah. The difference is, uh, Lita shaves every day. I don't. So no, I did laser hair. <laughs> I'm removal. just kidding. No, seriously, not even kidding. I you did just said hair. I have a better beard than you. So I had a, I had yeah. a, no, I, had I do pluck. I do pluck quite aggressively. <laughs> I've told my daughter that she used to bring tweezers to the viewing mm. to make sure that as people are approaching me from my chin, right? Cause you're laying in your casket and people come by your feet. Totally. So what are they looking at a part of your body they've never seen before, like the bottom of my chin, nobody looks there, right? This is true. It will, it will be hairy because it has to be attended to every other day. So you better bring the good tweezers. I will not have anyway, but I have done laser hair removal. So you do have a better beard than I do. Yes. But, well, and my friends listening, this is how you share hotness. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Like we get real here and we're talking about real things about life. And that's part of the hotness is you got to pluck before your funeral. Yeah. You got to pluck before your funeral. (laughs) And if you are out there being like, well, well, Lita doesn't have a hairy chin and Tyler does. And I'm somewhere in the middle. It's because one of us is plucking and one of us is embracing that. And that's okay. That's fair. Yeah. It's totally fair. You know, it's good. Does does Aubrey like the the beard and the mustache? Uh, Aubrey actually loves the beard. Okay, there you yeah, go. Yeah, she she loves the beard. Uh, but it took me a long time to grow it. Actually, I was a late bloomer with the beard, and uh-huh. I would get these little patches. And so, a lot of a lot of men listening are going to know what you're what I'm talking about. Um, you get these patches until it like fully starts to grow in, and and it took. I was probably. I was probably in like my late twenties, early thirties before I could grow like a full beard. 
So my husband, who I love. Yes, you do. I have more chest hair naturally than he does. I've done laser <laughs> hair removal. So that that is gone. That ship has sailed. For some reason, it still comes back on my knees and my chinny chin chin and my armpit. But anyway. I wonder if that's like an airborne thing from like truck stops or something that you No, it's because developed. my dad is the missing link between <laughs> ape and man. Oh, there you go. As there my you brother, it's you genetic. should know this. No. If you were genetically my brother, you would never have worried about patches on your beard. Okay, that's fair. The men in my family shave down to their collar line. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, there's there's a carpet upon the chest and the back. That is quite impressive, huh? Oh, he's, yeah. I mean, the joke (laughs) is that he is the missing link between ape and man. And I remember in some little class when I was a kid being like, I know, I know what's in between there, you know, with the picture of the ape and the man. And oh, yeah. My family line. Lita has now uh, explained evolution. Yeah, there you go. It's just they haven't done. <laughs> They've been searching search. for that missing link for a long time and they haven't looked at Lita's family. <laughs> yeah, they just have, they have not is. checked it out. <laughs> Where men are men and so are the women. We're very yeah. proud. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully they're listening to this podcast and they're going to rewrite the science books based on this. I don't think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but I think you'll find it hilarious. So in the deaf community, we are to um, get a a sign name from a deaf person. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you don't get to pick your sign name. Okay. Because in other words, you're going to go around and you'd be like, hi, my name is T-Y-L-E-R. So you have to have a sign name. So you're not, so you can become Tyler. Right. Uh Uh-huh. So um, my maiden name as a missionary, my maiden name was, my name was Mon, M-A-U-G-H-A-N. So going around being like, hi, this is sister M-A-U-G-H-A-N. Very clearly you want to give somebody a sign name. So I'm explaining to my hard of hearing um, fellow missionary that would, was going to give me the sign name that my name sounded like man, like, hey, Mon. Yeah. So she was like, oh, perfect. We'll call you Sister Man <laughs> as my sign name. And I was like, I don't want to be called Sister Man because, you know, of people that are, you know, you know, dressing differently. And that completely went over her head because back then we called this transvestites, right? Yeah. Which I did not know the sign for a transvestite nor how to spell it. Anyone, you know, know how to spell that, right? Transgender, sure. so much easier to spell. So I was like, no, I don't, I don't want, you know, for people, you know, and anyway, so we go and knock on a door to go and share the message about Jesus Christ. And you serve Spanish speaking mission, correct? Uh, and yep. In Argentina, in the Buenos Aires North mission. No, that's how he says that Buenos Aires, you Buenos know, anyway, Aires. we knock on this door and he's like, hi, she's like, hi, I'm sister Olmstead gives her sign name. This is sister, you know, M-A-U-G-H-A-N sign name, man. And he goes, really? You know, all in sign language. That surgery was a great success. You can hardly tell. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so that's when I got to be able to explain to my, what we call missionary companion, um, what, you know, what a transvestite, that's what we called the men was. Yeah. And that I was looking like it because I had just enough of an Adam's apple that it was confusing. Yeah. And just big enough shoulders that it's confusing. And just enough well, hair and, upon my face. And you're tall enough, right? You're you're taller yeah. than the average. I'm five nine for a woman. Yeah, I think yeah. the average height of a woman right now is like five three or five four. 
something. I don't know. I am and a definitely, male is like, I think, 5'10". Yeah. And I'm yeah. not just tall. I'm of substance. You know? <laughs> that's funny. Okay. So I've that's a good that segue. What? I just said I've never heard that story. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think you had, but you know, and I wasn't sure if I'd shared it on the podcast before or not. So those of you that have heard it, you can, you know, act me like, oh my crap, I can't believe she told that story again. Just fast forward. Um, We were just talking about prioritizing family before we got going with the podcast. And um, you were, I thought you were saying some really important things about that. So take it away. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, my brand is leaders as learners, right? And so one of my things is we need to be learning intentionally. And it's great to listen to all these podcasts and to read all these books and to go to all of these events. But really, it comes down to, we don't, uh, and your, your listeners all know this, but it's a good reminder. We only have 24 hours in a day. And I love what Chad Hymas says about that. He's a fellow speaker of ours. And I learned this from him. He said, time is our most, it's our most limited resource, therefore our most limited or our most valuable asset. Mm-hmm. And time is how we show that we honor someone. Absolutely. And so with that, uh, when I go to an event and maybe I'm there to network, I'm giving them the gift of my time and they're giving me the gift of their time. And that's how we honor each other. And I think we forget that sometimes with our families because we're busy or we're trying to make the dream work and which is all great, but we only have so much time in a day. And so we need to be intentional about how we learn and how we grow, grow our businesses. I totally, I'm like, preach it brother, you know, because I was telling you how people have given me crap over the years for not going to all these different events and not being at all these different things. And sometimes I'd even feel a little tingle of FOMO when I'd see everybody in Park City having a girls night and it was, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then I'd be like, wait a minute. Um, Again, only so much time. And I want to be the mother to my children and the wife to my husband. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've been really intentional about is cooking dinner and I don't love cooking. But I grew up in a home where there was no intentionality about how we would feed ourselves, Mm. you know? And so it was something that I would see happen in families that I could see were functional. And it was because at dinner, communication happens. Yeah. And evidently, my husband really likes to eat. Super weird. Yeah. You know, and well, when when you when you bike a million miles a day, then you know you got you got to burn some calories. You got to consume some calories. So he's been obsessed with his VO two, which is something about oxygen. Uh huh. So he has this little app that attached to his fancy watch, right? Uh huh. And he is in one percent of his age. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, like he's the top one percent. The top 1% of his age. Yeah. That doesn't so surprise he me. He has the heart functionality or the VO2, not the, yeah, but the VO2 of a 20 year old man and he's 51. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, Lita's husband is uh, an avid biker and skier. Yeah. He's an avid anything he's doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he doesn't know how to just sit and be still like yeah. that is not 
his thing. But the cool thing is every night he's calling us to family prayer. It's rare for that to be missed. Mm -hmm. Then there's couples prayer. Then it, you know, he's on his knees, which reminds me to be on my knees. Like if I ever lost him, heaven forbid, I might forget to pray. (laughs) (laughs) He is just like on it. So yeah, he is a doer of all the things. Yeah. So he's, I really like him. I should marry him. You should, you should have that conversation. Yes. Um, So Tyler, my friend, we met the beginning of our speaking and you've had a lot of evolutions in what you do, which has given you a huge breadth of experience. Um, Tell, tell my audience what you're up to now. Yeah. So right now, uh, so my company is leaders as learners and I, it's my speaking company, but I also do training and consulting and coaching as well. And there's a lot of people that don't do those things. And some people say it's, you're doing too much, you know, you, you, you got to narrow it, but here's the thing. I, I love it because, and maybe this is something good for your listeners. Uh, you know, people, people have this goal and they look at it and they go, Oh, okay. I want to go achieve that thing. And really what it comes down to is you have to come up with kind of your, your mission statement. And so mine has, what I've learned about myself is I have the gift of gab is what everyone else calls it. We call it professional speaking. (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 but here's the thing with it. Uh, A lot of people mistake that and they look at it and go, oh, they love the spotlight. They love to be on the stage, which is true. It is fun. And, and I do enjoy that, but it's not what people think it's because of the transfer of knowledge that happens, the empowerment that happens, the gift that they give and that I receive when I'm speaking, training, coaching, and consulting. And so what happened was, and we're this might get a little deep here, so forgive me, but uh what happened No, we was, like deep. I was so so I come from a family of 14 kids, seven boys and seven girls. No twins, no adoptions, no second so... marriages, no polygamy. Like my mom had all 14 kids in 20 years. And so when I was, when I wanted to go to college, you know, I had to figure out how to do it. And my parents are, they're phenomenal people. They, they always provided for us. We lived in a great neighborhood. Like, you know, I mean, we had our ups and downs like any family, but uh, you know, it, it was a great childhood, but they didn't have money to send me to college. So I had to figure out how to do it. So I'm at this really nice college. My my work was paying 90% of my tuition and I was speaking Spanish doing credit card collections. So they were paying me 10% more an hour to do that. And then 10% more an hour to work till eight or 9 PM to work the night shift. Um, not the graveyard, the night shift. And so I'd go to school in the morning and then I would, I would uh, work, work the rest of the day. And I was at this college, Westminster, which I love. It's a small private college, just a little bit south of the University of Utah here in Salt Lake City. And it's a really expensive school to go to, but the class sizes are small and you just have a phenomenal experience. And so I ended up doing my associates in business at the Salt Lake Community College. And then I transferred up to Westminster with a scholarship. So that helped as well. And I'm in these classes with kids whose whose parents could pay for their college, which is amazing. And, um, and a lot of and, them from the East Coast school. and yeah. at a very expensive school. Yeah. So tuition alone, when I was there, 
uh, for my undergrad tuition alone was $10,500 a semester. And that yeah. didn't include books or room and board or anything. And so uh, it was, it was pricey. And uh, these people would send their kids there. And what was really cool is I learned a lot from them. And I, I feel like they learned a lot from me just coming from different situations. You know, like we'd meet for our group and they're like, Hey, let's, let's meet at this time. I'm like, um, I have to work, you know? <laughs> and they're like, Oh, and oh, so <laughs> anyway, the reason People I'm telling work? you all of this is I, I want to give context to my situation. And because what happened was I was sitting in class when I was finishing up my junior year and I, and I was, I kind of trailed off because no one ever does that in their college class when they're teachers lecturing. And I, I came up with these three goals and I was like, you know, who do I want to be? Cause there's these kids in my class are like, I'm going to start a nonprofit and I'm going to revolutionize the world. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, must be nice. Like your dad's going to cut you a check and you're going to go start this nonprofit and you know, the world's your oyster. And I sat down, I was like, well, who do I want to be? And I came up with three things. And number one was, I always want to be able to provide for my family. It's very important to me. Number two, uh, I want to make sure that I use my talents to do so. And then three, make the world a better place because I was passing through it. And not in like a cocky way, like, hey, look at me. It's like when your neighbor's in the hospital for cancer, go mow their lawn when no one's looking. Right. Amen. Like how, right. how can we, how can we serve others because it's the right thing to do. And so I kind of developed that as like that, that's who, that's who I want to be. And I promised as soon as I figured out what that thing was, I was going to go do that thing. And so fast forward, I'm a year into my master's in business at Westminster. I just stayed there and went right into my MBA after my undergrad and a guy by the name of Dan Clark comes and speaks to my class called lectures in entrepreneurship. And Dan's, he's the reason I got into this business. He, he came and spoke and he starts sharing this story about how one moment in time can change everything. And it was like the heavens open and God was like, Tyler heard, this is what you were born to do. And it checked all three boxes. So I go up to him after as if he's never heard this, right? Like he's in the speaker's hall of fame, number one contributing author to the chicken soup for the soul series. Uh, like new, like New York times bestseller, I believe just like this crazy resume. Yeah. And I go up to him after I'm like, Hey, and I want to be like a speaker. Six, six, five. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah he, too. So he's like a prior football player. So he's like an imposing presence. Oh, he's like wow. a giant of a man, but he's also got a giant heart. Yeah, absolutely. And so he goes, that's awesome. You just got to figure out, you know, your message, your money and one other M. And then he said, Hey, I'm teaching a class this fall at Westminster. You ought to come take it. So I called the Dean of the entrepreneurship department because I was getting my certificate of entrepreneurship as well. And he's like, great. I love that story. And let's just make it an elective for your MBA. And I was like, sweet. <laughs> so I end up taking this class that fall and, you know, in a way I went, but what I, what I want to share about all of that is I set out to do one thing and that was, I wanted to be a keynote speaker. And during that time, after that happened that fall, I actually applied for the third time to be a trainer at my job at, at I was working at discover card. And the first time I didn't get it, they gave me some really good feedback and I implemented that feedback the second time rumor has it, I was going to get the job, but that was 2008. The world shut down economically and right. they put a freeze on hiring. So it took another year before 
that happened. And looking back, you know, God was just lining things up is what he right, was doing. Right. And so anyway, I applied, I got the job at discover. I start getting my reps in and, you know, sharing stories, making a point, transfer of knowledge, all of these things that you learn as a trainer. And Which I started developing this becoming a art speaker, of speaking. That is like the number one thing that is a problem for most speakers is they don't have the, the time on a stage. Yeah, totally. And they want to go from, I've never spoken in front of anybody, but people who love me. Yeah. Getting paid to speak when they've never spent hours on a stage. Totally. And or a platform or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And little side note there, and then we'll get back to the rest of my point here uh, is, you know, Steve Martin put out all these videos online some years ago and about acting and something he said, I've never forgotten. And I relate it to the speaking industry. And he said, you know, people always come up to me, Hey, Steve, where should I get my headshots? Do I need a website? And they're asking all these questions and you can spend a lot of money doing those things all for not. And he says, I always come back and ask him. My first question to them is, well, can you act? Like, are you any good at acting? Right. And those things are all good and you should be doing them along the way, but can you act? And right. so when people want to become a speaker, it's, well, can you speak? And it's okay if you can't, it's, it's an art and arts take time and skill Practice. and yeah. honing that to be really good at it. Right. And so uh, anyway, that's a little side note there. The so, problem with acting and speaking is that there is this applause on the other side. Yeah. And one of the things that people don't realize about speaking that might be different than acting is people are going to clap for you, even if you're bad, because it is a big fear to be a public speaker. Yes. So even if you're not doing a good job, they are going to clap for you because you're now done. Well, not only that, but people always ask me, Tyler, what's your number one tip for speaking? And I, and I tell people, just remember everyone in the audience is glad it's not them. Yeah, exactly. You right. know, and so, and so it's like people misinterpret that applause as I killed it. And you have yes. to learn how to read your audience to read and connect. And you talked earlier about it's not about the stage time. It's about that sharing of information, that inspiration you're giving someone else, that moment that you had with Dan Clark. Yes. Right. That yes. you need to be able to figure out if you were able to transfer emotion, experience, information in a way that your audience members can hear you. And that is not the same as talking. No, it isn't. And, and, and here's the thing, this, the reason I gave all that context, I know that's a long story and and a long way of getting there, but I want you to understand the context behind that, because I, I, you know, as I, as I, as I work with leaders, this is something that we talk about it just comes up every single time. And I ask them why they do what they do. Why are you a leader? And then I share that story with them. And I say, you know, I started out this way. And my whole idea was I wanted to be a full-time keynote speaker all the time. And what I realized was there's a place for that. But really, because I have this gift gift of gab, my, my mission statement is to make the world a better place through the gift and power of words. And that comes in many forms, quite frankly. And that's why I do what I do. Uh, that's why I have these different arms of, of my business, because I had to take a step back and go, okay, what's the overarching, like, what is this? 
Right. And because the reality is in a keynote speech, they are so fun to do and they are phenomenal and they, the, the crowd loves it and they get some good information, but then it's on them to go do something with it. And you hope they do. Right. And so in, in training, there's this, if, if you're doing it right, there's this transfer of skill. So I can take my content from my keynote and I can put it into a training and then I can train their company and it's still within my mission. Right. Well, and more so because, you know, um, most keynotes are sharing information. You know, you're spending so much time connecting with that audience. You might teach them two or three points. Yes. And typically at a keynote, you are inspiring them to take action on something they already know. Totally. Training is where you are giving new information and helping to implement that skill. Yes. And so I too have like, um, I, I'm, you and I have discussed this privately. So I'm going to throw us out in the, the, you know, the, the internet, you know, here on the internet, whatever to the world, to the whole world, the whole world listens to my podcast <laughs> that what motivates us is not that applause. And I think from what you were saying before, somebody might think that's what you're talking about in the fun, but I know that's not what you're talking about because I know you yeah. that having people clap for me. And so when people are drawn to that and they're like, I killed it. Do you hear that applause? I'm like, that's just people. People are yeah. nice. They're just glad you're done or they're glad it's not them. And they're going to clap for you because the person next to you is clapping. And so, oh, okay. It's like a standing ovation. Yeah. You know, and, and, if and, and you're I the think... only person not giving a standing ovation, you look like a total jerk. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I, we need to be careful here because uh, I, I just want to acknowledge that those things feel really good. Like, let's be honest, like that feels awesome when the whole audience is clapping or you turn around and you have a standing ovation. Like mm -hmm. I've experienced that and it's phenomenal. Yeah, it but, is a wonderful thing, but it can't be it, your motivator. Exactly. To become a speaker because a good speaker, the Dan Clarks, the Chad Hymases that you have quoted in this, the Jason Hewlett's, right? Yes. Um, they, they're the reason they've had longevity in their career. I mean, Chad Hymas is probably one of the highest paid speakers in Utah and one of the highest paid in the world. And he's one of the busiest in the world as well. Yeah, he is. It is insane how this man can break every rule that you were taught in the speaking world. And it works yeah, for totally. Chad Hymas because Jason he, as well. Jason breaks every rule too. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's, it's Chad it's Hymas drives me nuts because <laughs> Jason has worked on his craft, his art from the entertainment aspect to yeah. delivering a very fundamental to who you are as a person skill set. Yes. You know, which is breaking rules because he's gone from entertainment to keynoting and totally. he can go back and forth between the two and both are profound. Right. Yes. Um, but it gives him a lot of flexibility. Chad Hymas drives me nuts because he'll like have his slideshow. And he's like, you know, I think I'm going to share with you guys this. Yeah, let's do this. Oh, wait, look, look <laughs> at this cute picture of my kid. Like, it seems like he's just having a conversation. And so you could look at someone like Chad Hymas and be like, people like me when I'm talking. But you, you can look at the audience and everybody, his ability to take someone, put you in the palm of his hand. It's like he's having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. Yes. And you walk out of that wanting to be a better person. 
Yes. And, and, and you know, who else is really good at that is Lou Heckler. Yeah. Uh, I believe he's out of Florida and along the lines of the standing ovation, clapping, all of that, uh, Lou Heckler says it best. Uh, he, him and his wife sat down years ago and they came up with kind of their rules for his speaking business. And one of them was, he said, it's very easy to get drunk off of the standing ovation. Yes. And so that's, he said, that's what I'm talking about. One of his goals is he said, I, ne- uh, I will never get drunk off standing ovations. Mm-hmm. And I just love the way he put that. And so you, you know, you fast forward all these years from what I set out to do. And w- the conversation I have with leaders about all of this is why do you do what you do? Right. And if because you I, I, I am the in why, the business of helping people through this, this, this talent I've been given. And so does it have to be keynoting all the time? No, it can look like different things. So the conversation I have with leaders about this is why are you a leader? Did you want a bigger paycheck? Did you want to help people? Was it both? Why, why do you do what you do? Because when something changes in their job and they don't like it, well, there's a fundamental problem with, with why they do what they do and they have to go back to that core. Yep. And so if, if, if I became a leader because I feel like I have this ability to help others and the pay is also nice, then I have to take a step back and go, okay, why do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I in the business of, of, of leading or managing? And that's a whole different conversation of managers versus leaders. Well, the confluence of, I think every person who's striving to be a better person wants to help other people. But if you do not have the ability to also get paid for that helping, you know, in your job, then you're not going to have the capacity to go help other people. Like when you talked about going and mowing the neighbor's lawn, you couldn't go and mow neighbor's lawns all day long and provide for your family. So we're all dealing with this balance between wanting to go do good and, and be a good force in the world. And that we need to take care of our families. And a lot of times, and I hear this, especially with women. So it's a little bit of a, with, with me, that I, one of the reasons I do entrepreneurial training, and we've talked about partnering for, for some of this too, which yes, totally. know, um, I, I keep saying when my kids get bigger, when my kids get bigger and now, now they're bigger, they're bigger. Don't cry. Really You'll be okay. And they're leaving they me. still love you. They'll call you. They'll visit. When they're hungry. No, they visit. That's the problem. They're not here every day. And this is why I'm whiny. But anyway, um, is because I see so many women that are so used to working for free, you know, as, mm-hmm. as a wife and a mom, I love, love being a wife and a mom. But when I put my business brain on, I have to be my business brain. And so when people ask me to donate my time, I've told you this before and you thought it was brilliant, but I said, did you like how I told you? And you thought it was brilliant yeah. um, <laughs> that I would say in order to say yes to you. So let's say somebody wants to go pick my brain for free at lunch. You know, I might make a snarky comment of I'm kind of past the free lunch phase of my life, you know, acting like I'm a, yeah. cheap date, you know, but what I typically will say is in order to say yes to this half hour to meet you hour and a half lunch half hour drive home is two and a half hour commitment you're asking me for out of my, for me, which is a six hour work day, because I only work when my kids, kids are at school, unless I'm making big money, you know, like it's not just, you know, but that's when I'm intentionally working. And in order to say yes to you, I'm going to have to say no to a paying client 
my family, you know, or, you know, my, my, my husband or my kids. So which of those three should I say no to a paying client, my husband, my kids, not in that order to say yes to you. Yeah. And, and that's okay because of, no, it's great. It's great because I'm letting people know my priorities. Totally. Totally. And it, it teaches them, right? It teaches them about you and maybe you're not a good fit for them then. And that's okay. Well, and the thing is, you're not going to be a good fit for them either because you get paid for this service. And if somebody sees value in what your brain and what your expertise provides and are not willing to pay for it, they need to join your online free program. They need to join, you know, follow your social media. Um, They need to go seek out that information with their own time, but asking you to give up your time for free simply because someone's asking you and I both do charity stuff. We both do hundred percent, but you can't do that with all of your time. Yeah. And so when, what happens is that you have these people with these amazing wise, you know, these great hearts oh, yeah. that are starving because they've not learned the power in the word. No. And assessing what their why is and assessing what their priorities are, which is what you've been talking about teaching people. Why? As a leader, are you doing this? What yeah. is your why? And if those two things are in congruence, you can be successful. If they're not, there's going to be internal conflict. Yeah. And, and this, this leads down the road of, you know, I, I thankfully we're starting to see some of this movement online that I've been seeing memes and little videos and people are starting to get more brave about this and speak up because here's the thing. Nobody wants to crush someone's dreams. Well, I mean, there are evil people out there, but you know, you don't run into a lot of them that just want to literally crush someone's dreams. And so there's this, there's this idea out there that if you follow your passion, you'll never work again a day in your life. That drives me nuts. Here's the reality. Uh, The passion comes later. It might be your passion, but it takes a lot of hard work. And so there's this idea out there of follow your heart and your passion and the money will come. And what people don't realize is the amount of work it takes to be able to do that. And so there's a guy named David Averin out of Colorado. He came to our chapter a few months ago, our, our National Speaker Association Mountain West chapter. And I just love what he said. And, and I believe this applies not just in the speaking business, but many businesses. Uh, speaking, training, coaching, consulting, all of those things that we do, podcasting, those are the those are the service or the product we offer. They're not the business. Right? The yes. business is yes. the the business is what problems do I solve and how does the world know about that? And then you have to market and you have to f- pick up the phone and call people and it is a tough business just like any other business. And but people they get they get enamored by this glitz and glam of seeing someone on stage and they don't realize what it You're takes to run a speaking applause. business. Yeah, yeah. And quite frankly, if, if, if we're being totally honest and transparent here, I've tried to walk away several times, but my why is so deep that I can't. And the reason I tried to walk away is because I have a family to provide for and it's hard. This business yeah. is hard. It's not impossible. Yeah. And it's a beautiful business to be in. 
and you get to help so many people and you learn and you get to love deeply. And there's just so many great things that come from it. But at the end of the day, you're running a business. And so when it, when it comes to leading, you know, people can get burned out and we see this in church settings as well. People volunteer and they give their all to these, their callings in their churches. And they sit down one day and they're like, why am I doing this? You know, and they get, and they get burned out. And so that passion, that why is important, but you have to also recognize that that doesn't put food on the table, that, Mm -hmm. that, that passion, it doesn't, in our, in our religion, we call it a testimony, right? Just showing up and going through the motions is not testimony building. But if I show up and I serve because I love the Lord and I want to, you know, practice charity and serve other people, then yeah, it's, I'm I'm not going to get burned out. And so we, we have to look at that and I'm not a therapist or anything, but you have to look at like why you do these things. And even as a leader, you can get burned out if you're not careful. And that's where your why is going to be so powerful. But I love that you brought up this point about, you know, you know, follow your passion. You won't work a day in your life. I'm sorry. What's wrong with work? No, totally. And (laughs) as an entrepreneur, it ebbs and flows. And Mm -hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs work way more hours than they did in their office job, their corporate job. And, uh, but they love it. Well, and, you know, I think about some of the things that I'm the most proud of, not professional, right? Yeah. Um, Well, things I'm just most proud of. Um, Being a mom. I do a lot of things that I do not enjoy doing as a mom. Yeah. And the feminism, I think they call it fourth wave feminism, uh, you know, are trying to tell women that if you are cooking for your husband, there is a problem in the power dynamics of your relationship Mm. because there should be an equal sharing of domestic tasks. Now, when I have been on the road speaking and, um, you know, frankly, just being super busy, I never had to have a conversation with my husband of, you know, you're going to have to feed yourself. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there was, there was never a conversation, but There is something so beautiful as a woman that my kids can go to the cubby on a day that, you know, the cubby in the laundry room Mm -hmm. after school on a hard day. And I've told them I've loved them. I told them I'm there for them. I've greeted them at the door. But they can go to their laundry cubby and see laundry folded that communicates love in a way that sometimes words are not enough for. Yes. And when they can, when I say, okay, it's time for dinner and they leave their homework to come down and to see that I have put an apron on over my business clothes and that I, as their mother, am capable of something so much more financially valuable, but I will put all of that aside and joyfully make them dinner that communicates love and commitment in a way that I could never say you're a priority. Yeah. And I do not find that role of being a mom or a dad, a demeaning role. And you as a man have made career sacrifices to be the kind of father that your family deserves to have. 
Yeah. And, and as a society, we're telling people that's not valuable. And I disagree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, since you and I always get real, and I know that's what this podcast is about, let me let me get real here for a minute. Uh, well, I feel like we've been real this whole time, but yeah, <laughs> let, let me, let me step back. That into was that a fake, bit. Let, Lita and Tyler. Let's, let's get, yeah. let's get real, real here. So, uh, that wasn't always the case for me. And that's, and that's hard to, that's hard to say out loud. Yeah, it's hard to say out loud. You know, we I'm don't, like, oh, we don't like you, to bro. look ourselves in the mirror and, and we don't, we don't like to admit our failures, but, uh, honestly, I was chasing something that was not right. Mm-hmm. And what the scary part about it is I thought I was on the right trajectory uh, because I thought I was doing the right thing to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. And so I was working 10, 12 hours a day, uh, no end in sight. I, you know, I, I felt like I was on a broken treadmill unplugged from the wall, but the belt kept spinning and it was going full speed. And I never knew if it was going to stop. And in my embrace, the Twitch keynote, the first principle is give more than you take. Uh, life is like a bank, but in this bank, when you deposit, you make deposits into other people. Um, you never need to make a withdrawal again because they'll start to deposit into into your bank account as well. Mm-hmm. And the second the second principle is one moment in time can change everything. And part of the reason I believe that so much is because that happened to me at Westminster when I heard Dan speak, and I had that I had to make the choice: Am I going to step up and follow this one moment in time that can change everything? Well, another one happened when I was I was doing all this work and uh, I I got home and I I walk up our stairs, I open the front door and I step into the house on the landing and my kids, the, the my two older kids, they're 15 and 13. I have five kids and the two oldest ones are 15 and 13. Now at the time they were probably like five and three ish mm-hmm. and they hear the door open and they come running down the stairs. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And like these cute little kids only can, you know, they wrap their sweet little arms around my legs and they're, you know, yelling daddy's home. And they're so excited to see me and unbeknownst to them, I'm having this major one moment in time that can change everything. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, my kids don't give a rip what I do for a living. And they certainly don't give a crap how much money I have in my bank account right now. All they want is time with their daddy. Yeah. That's why at the end of my key of my, um, my bio. Yeah. It says whenever I think, whenever I think I'm really cool, um, my husband and my family still think I'm really cool. But whenever I start to think I'm really cool, something that effect, I'm slaughtering right now, but anyway, it's time to make dinner. Yeah. And, and it's kind of my little anthem to you're, you're excited Cause you know, they're trying to hype me right now because I'm coming on stage and there might be some totally. music going, but what's really important to me is it's time to make dinner. Yeah. And, and the, the scary part is we can get our priorities mixed up and they can be jaded. And we think that we're doing the right thing. And don't get me wrong. I do not profess to be number one dad and husband and perfect at always making the right decision and giving of my time. I mean, this week alone, like I'm hardly home at night, uh, all good things. And some of them are professional. Some of them are personal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, that but, just happens. But sometimes. I think you're being hard on yourself too, because one of the things that's so bad about the degradation of the roles in family. Yes. I said the roles in family, yes. um, that, there are times in my marriage where I have been the higher bread earner. Yes. And we have totally. had to hire people to replace me or, you know, my husband's had to pick that up. 
Um, but if that is the, if that were the pace of our lives all the time, eventually the marriage would slack. Now I am so thankful for those years that I could just absolutely slaughter it in life. And I too, being really real, that first time that I saw my before taxes, because it's very sad after taxes. Yeah, yeah you know? always, always, it always <laughs> being, looks better before you know, taxes. <laughs> being a fair amount of money, you know, yeah. and I, in the National Speakers Association, we don't talk about money, you know, but it was, sure. as I told my kids, I made $14 a week and they were super impressed, you know, yes. but when I was making, I mean, you know, just more money, a lot more. Yeah. A lot, so much money. You know, I always think it's funny when people are like, oh, six figures. I'm like, six figures is middle class. Why is that your goal? You know, yeah, totally. <laughs> but I'm making tons of money prior to the taxes, taking 40%. Um, and there was a part of me that went trucker's daughter made good. You know, when my commissions from my company just for that year, which is one part of how I earned money was just over a hundred grand. Yeah. I, there was a point of pride in me that I had done that. And I too was caught up in that chasing the more. And I have a speech about how more is not always more. Right. Yeah. I'm very thankful for that time because we did responsible things with that money. But if we'd wasted that money, I'd be kicking myself fully at this point because I would have wasted what was really valuable. And though I too thought I'm doing a good job being a wife and mom, but I wasn't doing as good a job as I've been able to do since leaving that kind of craziness, because you do get drunk on and not only drunk on it, but you feel responsible to maintain what you've created. You know, and people are depending on you. This is why I love the greatest showman so much that movie, because it it literally, I feel like it was a picture of my life as a young father. I felt Mm. like the weight of the world was on my shoulders and I wanted to give my kids everything. And like that song, never enough, like that cuts deep for me. So does, so, so does a, this is me, but anyway, the whole movie, I just resonate with it so much The beard because it's the beard (laughs) because I, because I, I can relate to that. I, I, it was never enough. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was all under the guise uh, of, of taking care of my family. Mm-hmm. And let's take this a step further. And since you've mentioned women, I'm actually um, very actively involved. I'm on the staff for this men's retreat. And it's based on a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. It's a, it's a Christian author. And this retreat for, I'm going to shamelessly plug here. If you go to warriorheart.com, you can learn all about it. And we do these retreats for men uh, to connect with God and connect with each other because men have this ability to bottle things up and try to do it alone. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're learning is men need other men. And yes, that's really weird for men to hear. And they need other men like battling for their heart. Well, we've had, um, you know, since the, the sexual revolution, women being told they can be men, we've had every advantage that women have been, you know, they, they talk about how women never had certain opportunities, but women have had freedom and opportunities depending on where you culturally lived and your wealth and what your, your family might've done for you. But yes, we've had women literally be like, Oh, you can be men now. And we've taken all of the worst characteristics of manhood and told women that was the ideal, 
you know, that you can be sexually free to have sex with whoever you want. You don't have to be with home and family. When your why, when you started speaking, and any functional human, like I was saying, that wants to be a better person is going to have something giving back. And we preach selfishness. We preach gratification in the moment. And we preach, you just do what makes you feel good. When the truth is, that's how you erode yourself. If yeah, it's that's a- applause or just what you're telling yourself or an abdication of responsibility, all of those things are just on a spectrum of self-erosion because it erodes self-respect. A hundred percent. The the reality is like we, for those that live in the real world, and I mean that literally like the real world, uh, you have to do hard things and things aren't just given to you and you have to work and you have to have this guiding set of values and principles and morals, whatever those are. And the, we've been learning this with our teenagers, quite honestly, and what what we're my wife and I are going through this evolution right now of it's hard to watch your kids suffer as teenagers, but that's how they learn. And they you want to step in and do it for them, but that's not real life. And so they have to go through the yucky and the hard, and you have to be there for them, but you can't do it for them. Mm-hmm. And it's really painful to watch as a parent. And so that that really strikes a chord with me right now and resonates because we're living that. And, and it's that same idea, like you've been talking about with business. It's like, that's great. That's your passion, but here's the real world. And yeah. so, you know, this, this, this principle transcends, you know, gender roles and this transcends yes. like well, and gender roles are that, you, that you've been bringing up, made right? up. It's. They're, yeah, they're so, made up. I mean, it was the 1950s idea that women could only do this when the truth of the matter is back in the day when we were all little running our own little farms to sustain our family, there wasn't like only men milk the cows. Yeah. Only men can do this. You know, in the Bible, it talks about a, a woman whose value is above pearls it, and they're describing a businesswoman. Yeah. She's running the whole entire finances of her family, and that, and she is described as a valuable beyond pearls. Yeah, and to, and, <laughs> and to me, but to me, this, um, to me, to your point, does it matter? Like, why can't why can't we all just like give in our relationships to make everything better? Mm-hmm. Like, who cares who does the dishes? Who cares? who brings in more money? Like it's about becoming one and, and And we have these different personalities. We have different strengths and weaknesses and all of those things. And, and quite frankly, like, that's not just a, that's not just a a men and women relationship conversation. That's any, any convert, like any relationship that that's what you have to do. I cook dinner more often because um there's three reasons one i have this whole entire reason why i think it's really important so i care the most yeah two i'm better at it i am much more effective in the kitchen than the person i am married to doesn't mean he can't doesn't mean he won't yeah but if we're looking at us as a team and my husband and i have conversations like this all the time He at his job is worth a certain amount per hour. Yeah. At my job, 
I am worth a certain amount per hour. I'm an entrepreneur. So that varies from time to time. Yeah. And at this point in our marriage, he makes more money per hour than I do. Hmm. So who's going to pick up the dry cleaning? As a team, it makes more sense that I pick it up because my hourly hit to our team financially is less if I do it. But what I love about this is, is look at the communication and the honesty there between you and your husband in your relationship. And you can even take this and you can put it into a leadership situation, right? Mm-hmm. Think about, think about running, think about leading a team at work. Think about, think about, think about leading in your church. Think about leading in the, in the nonprofits that you're, that people are involved in. Like this, this goes to a broader audience, right? This is a, this is what I call a universal principle. And you look at this core of communication that you, that quite frankly, uh, for your listeners, Lita is really good at. I've, I've been friends with Lita for years. Um, I've been in her home. She's met my family. Like we, we know each other and Lita is, is very literal and very direct and very open in her communication. And what that does is look at the way her husband and her are able to operate. Now, if we were to do that in, in our jobs as leaders, or even as an employee to our leader and be that just open, there's tact, there's, you know, being politically correct, all of those things. But when you can openly communicate those, those things, everything is so much better. Part of the problem is people keep things bottled up. Well, and, and what different skill sets are in play? And I tell women this all the time. Yes. Whoever cares the most about the problem also has the solution in their hands. Yes. So if you're going to get upset because he is vacuuming the floor and not leaving a pattern, yeah, <laughs> you're missing that he's vacuuming. You know, and I had a conversation with a woman who was saying, my husband doesn't support me in my business. And I've had this same kind of conversation many, many times. So we're talking about it and all the other women, this was one of my workshops started being like, oh, how does, and they started discussing and going over some critique of how he could be supporting her more in her business. And I was like, how are you supporting him and his efforts? And she was like, well, I, I shouldn't have to do anything until he's meeting X, Y, and Z for me. And I'm like, does he know that? Yeah. And so I'm digging in further being literal. Are you nice to him? Are you saying nice words to him? And men, not that they're stupid, are very simple, barring dysfunction or addiction. They need what they need food and the other thing. (laughs) And it's pretty rare. If you take out men that are dysfunctional and addicted that consistency on food and the other thing will not make a very pliable, sweet man. Yeah. When's the last time you did food and the other thing? And she confessed that she was using that as a weapon to withhold. So I was like, okay, I'm going to give you a challenge. And I put some money on the barrel for this challenge, you know? And I said, if you for one week will make dinner three times and do the other thing at least twice, report back at the end of the week. And I also said she couldn't say mean things to him because nobody wants to live with anyone who's being mean. Totally. They feel like they're always failing. And she's like, it won't work. You're going to be paying that bet. And I was like, okay. 
I was pretty confident because this is not the first time I have challenged somebody to do this. Sure. She came back five days later. (laughs) My life's completely different. My life is completely different, but we will use the very currency that the other person wants the most against them. Yeah. And this is the person you love. Supposedly anything, but you know, if you, you can use the words, but if your actions, just like I was saying about my kids, that being able to provide a home that is loving and sweet and kind with folded laundry. Yeah. Sometimes is spoken louder to my children than any words, even though I have the gift of communication could provide. Yeah. And, and I think it's two things here. One, it's important. We acknowledge that works for your family. Your kids recognize that. And and that works for them. Other families, it may be other things and that's okay. The other thing is going to miniature golf or something. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things here that we miss sometimes is we care more about being right than getting it right. (laughs) Right. And and Correct. I learned this lesson. This was my last job before I went out on my own full time. I was, I was talking to my, my boss and my director of training, and I was the training manager. This company hired me to help build their training department under, under his uh, watchful eye. And we just, we crushed it. Quite frankly, we did. We had so much fun doing it. Um, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal person. And we were trying to get some things done and I'm sitting in his office and I'm going down that road a little bit of like, oh man, this and that. And you know, what about this? And he goes, Tyler, who cares? Like, I care more about getting it right than being right. And it was like this, this moment, a one moment in time that changed everything. One moment I was like, in time. Oh, yeah. and, and we do this all the time, right? Oh, you didn't vacuum the right way. Well, do you care about getting it right or being right? Because getting it right means that it got vacuumed. Right. And I, I had to learn this lesson with like, I mean, does the toilet paper go over or under control? Yes. Like does the toilet paper go over or under Uh, the dishwasher was not loaded. Well, That's not even a debate, Tyler. Careful. It clearly goes over. These are some sensitive subjects. Do it under. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And well, and loading the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's all these things that we, that we do. And it's, it's like, does it really matter in the end? No, getting it right is my kid is learning responsibility by doing chores and learning. It's okay to do something a different way, even though it drives me insane. And here's why it drives me insane because they didn't load it efficiently. But again, it's about the same thing we've been talking about, about the ego and the boost of pursuing something that you could rationalize as good. But when you really boil it down, you're pursuing something because it makes you feel valuable. So when as a leader, as a human, whatever our pursuit is, how much are we learning into doing the thing that is simply correct? If it's enjoyable or not. Yeah. That we are simply doing it because we know that it is the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, think about, think about as a leader in your home, at church, at work, all these, I mean, we're leaders all over the place. We don't even realize it. And think about, think about doing this, implementing this concept with, with employees. Like, so I, I grew up in the call center world. I I shared that I, I did credit card collections. I can't tell you how many times my coach and team leader said, when I was on the phone, this is how I did it. 
when they were coaching me. And so what did I do? Well, I would do the same thing. Well, fast forward all these years, I'm in the training in, you know, self-help industry and I'm teaching a class and I, it was, it's a certification. It's a coaching certification called inside out coaching. It's a phenomenal program. And I'm teaching this class and the light bulb goes off. And I was like, oh, just because they do it different doesn't mean different is wrong as long as they still get to that, the, that same conclusion. So how many times as leaders do we do that? Oh, when I was a kid, oh, when I was doing your job, right. this is how I did it. That's great. You can use that as an example of one way to do it. But just because someone does it different doesn't mean it's wrong. And so do you care about being right or getting it right? And mm-hmm. getting it right in that setting is empower them, let them spread their wings and fly, let them do it their way. Because as long as they're staying within like those certain parameters, who cares? Like they become more of themselves. It's empowering. They're a better employee. They're happier. Like think with our kids, like allowing for creativity for differences because every kid, every business, every home, there are different personalities in play, which changes the dynamics. And so if we can let go of that ego, yes. we can actually let the brilliance of individuals within that space come to the surface because we're not so in control that there's only one way of doing it. Yes. And so I actually have a, a program for call centers. Uh, it's a phenomenal customer service program. Uh, it's for it's for negotiations as well as just general customer service. And when, when I go implement this at companies, it, you know, I, I do this analysis. This is the part of the consulting side is, is they usually have me listen to phone calls and tell me where, tell them where they're at and how bad it is or how good it is. And if my program can help them and all these things. And, and one of the things, for example, is, you know, in the call center world, they, a a well-run call center, they have all these measurements and all of these, you know, like average handling time. And, and then they score your calls. How good was your customer service? And, and some of them fall into this trap of this checklist of all of these things that they have to do. And it's actually what they're saying is, I don't trust you to, to implement these skills and be yourself and still give phenomenal <laughs> customer service. Oh, and I wonder why that makes people feel bad. Yes. And you wonder why the customer service world has such a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. And my program, what it does is, is it teaches these skills and competencies and so no matter what call they take, they're going to be able to, to work through that and deliver excellent customer service. Even when they're negotiating, asking, for, demanding money for people that are behind on their bill, you can still treat people with dignity and respect and, and, and collect this money. And what it comes down to is this program is designed to give people skills and competencies and then let them be themselves. Because what happens is when they do that, it's very empowering to them. It's like so a they, framework and, and or a formula instead of um, a framework. Yes. So for example, uh, there was one, they were like, you have to call them by name three times on the phone call. And I was like, what? Okay, Tyler. Because you start feeling like you're losing control. And so you implement these things, right? We do this at home with the dishwasher, the lines in the carpet. And so what happens is, does that person actually care if you call them by name three times? No, if you're doing your job right with the skill that I teach of building rapport, names 
don't really matter anymore. Yeah. Names are yeah. important. Don't get me wrong. They are important, but you've said but their it's name. not a ch- connecting it's, with another human being. is not a checklist. Yes. And so there's all these things and they become these checklists. And I learned, I, I learned this quite frankly, working at discover when I was in the train department, it was the same thing. We had this super long checklist of things we had to do. And then we had this visionary, this revolutionary training uh, leader. And she came in and she said, this is madness. I don't know how any of your trainers are ever successful. And we had some phenomenal trainers. And she was like, no, what are the, what are the five core vital behaviors? And this comes from the book Influencer from Vital Smarts. What are the vital behaviors to make something successful? And they came up with five. And so uh, if we did those five things well in the training remember class. Five. Yes. And do you know how empowering that was to all of us? Yeah. Because we could still be ourselves as trainers because people that's important. And more importantly, that's how we relate and connect with each other. When we get the real someone, it's really hard not to like someone when they're being them, their authentic self. And so this happens, this happens everywhere. Sorry. I kind of went off there on that tangent, but it's just, I see this all the time in the work setting that way. And if we give people the skills and competencies and trust them to rise to the occasion, it's amazing how much harder they work, how much better your team is, your department is. They come up with things you never even would have thought of. Yeah. Which and your kids are the same way. To, you know, you were being hard on yourself about, you know, that time that you were pursuing the more. Mm-hmm. But if you hadn't had that time, if we hadn't had putting religious terminology, you know, we talk about opposition a lot, right? Yeah. If you hadn't had that, where would you have found that balance that you needed to in that aspect? And totally. expecting human beings to just know what is right all the time. Yeah. You know, um, you know, communism sounds absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just sounds like the best <laughs> idea that everybody will have things in common yeah. and that, you know, everybody will be taken care of. It sounds amazing. The problem is you're dealing with humans. Yes. And humans have been known to be selfish. Totally. And so instead of going to the bread line, when there's limited amount of bread, you're going to take two or three and leaving nothing for the people behind. And that's just getting what you need to for your family. And you can rationalize it. And in each of our lives, we have different systems and ideas that we can corrupt to our own inadequacies at that time but that is part of what it means to be human is to recognize that we are learning and we're becoming and if it hadn't been for my mother never cooking dinner i would probably never have that be a priority i shouldn't say never there there she knew how to cook two things and we had them when guests came over but um if she hadn't done if it hadn't been that way where would i have this drive to do what i do And so I am thankful for my mother in that, right? And we, um, I one time was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Dr. Paul Jenkins, who's also in the National Speaker Association. And my kid was going through a really hard time and I was really worried for my kid. Mm -hmm. And I was crying to my friend and he goes, oh, oh, you don't want him to have the fantastic life you've had. And it was one of those moments in time for me too, that I wanted to protect my kid yeah, from all the hard things because I'm his mommy totally. and I love him so much. And I could not believe that something poopy was happening to him. Totally. And I realized 
I had to let him load up his car with everything he owned, which I did and wrote Alaska or bust. <laughs> and people totally. are like, your car's not going to make it. And I'm like, that's okay. I'm taking a plane because it wouldn't have made it. Um, you know, I had to let my kid go off into the wilderness to find himself. Yeah. And I had to trust that. And that's hard. And we've got to trust ourselves. And if we are going back to these principles you've talked about, we'll find our way and it'll be okay. Yeah. And, and we, we have to find them ourselves, but we have to remember, you know, I love Mr. Rogers quote, look for the helpers because no, no matter where I go, there's always helpers and they, no matter what there's helpers and there's so much negativity. And I know it's cliche to say there's so much negativity in the news and all that. We say that because it's true. Because but there's, a, there's yeah. a whole lot of good going on around the world that we never hear about. And, and I always find helpers no matter where I go. And I try to be a helper. And the reason I bring that up is because I have found so much strength in, in being able to have other men and women in my corner. And so when I'm talking to my neighbor that lives around the corner for me about what it's like raising these kids and I'm telling him my woes and he's going through similar experiences and it's like, oh, okay. Right. And and it's going to be okay. And, and that to me brings so much strength. And I think that's part of what we lost during the pandemic Mm-hmm. And what we've also realized is humans need connection, even introverts. 100%. I am a hardcore extrovert, but even introverts, they need that human connection. They just do it different and that's okay. They just do it in little spurts. <laughs> and yeah. And and so um, my wife is an introvert. And so it's, it's just so fascinating. I've learned so much from her and she's learned so much from me about these two different worlds we live in yeah. uh, that way. But having having other men in my corner that I can, that I can put aside this, this masculinity facade of like that masculinity is I can do it on my own and I don't need other men. Like I'm, right. I'm tough. That's where it comes from. Right. I don't want to be last men picked are just in sports as much a victim, and I want to be tough. Uh, right. Yeah. And men so, are just as much a victim of stereotypes and gender roles as yes, women have been. And totally. we need to stop seeing each other as these groups to fight against, but to work as what a family forces you to do, learn to work with each other's strengths. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, if you look at society today, we could, we could get into the addiction numbers, divorce numbers, um, pornography, addiction numbers, like drug addict, all that stuff. And, and really what that tells me is we tried to do it the other way for all those years. And, and I'm going to pull a Dr. Phil line. How's that working out for us? Yeah. Right. Right. And so, so really what it we comes can take down a to pill is, for obesity, instead of actually being healthy, we can yeah. take a pill for happiness instead of having happiness. And and don't get me wrong. There's, there's, I, I, you know, my, you know, I have, um, I, I have battled anxiety for the past mm-hmm. 10 years and I've had to take medicine and I've gone to therapy and I'm thankful and we have those things, but totally. you and are so not there, there is a place for all of these things just to fix you. A hundred percent. I've put in a ton of work that we don't have time to get into today. Uh, maybe that'll be a part two on your podcast, but, uh, the, the, the point being, I am so grateful that I have learned that, that men 
we put on this pose that everything's okay. And it's not all the time. Sometimes it is a lot of time it is, but there are times where it's not. And, and for, for the men listening, quite frankly, uh, you need other men Mm -hmm. and that can be hard to do, but it's okay. You need to find the right men that have your back because they don't care if you were picked last in sports. They don't care if you were a gamer in high school or a nerd. When you find the right group of men, like all of that goes away because quite frankly, we all had insecurities and we were all didn't act as our best selves in junior high and high school. And hopefully we've evolved as adults. Like I was having this conversation with my friend the other day. I was like, can we just like recognize and just like give everyone a pass for junior high and high school. Like when I see other people that I went to school with, like there's just this eye connection and I'm just like hoping that they're like, let's just not bring up. And I was shy. I was, I was very shy and could not look people in the eye. Yeah. So obviously I've had people who were like, that's so funny. I went to school with a girl who looked a lot like you with the same name. Yeah. But they don't realize it's me because yeah, I'm so different. Totally. Yeah. And do you have and, a cousin that was named after you? That you, you yeah. have the same name. I'm well, like. Well, and what happens is we we bring all of that into adulthood, and unless we sit with that and unravel it, it just stays with us. And so this whole idea of like, you know, in in general, the men don't want to be the wuss, right? They don't want to be the weak link. And so by showing these things, by admitting we need help, that we're going through something hard, there's this, there's this, there's this instinct that kicks in, like, don't be the weak link, don't be the wuss, because that's not masculinity. And and it's just simply not true. And so one of the, what's been really helpful to me is to have other men um, that, that we, I can commiserate with and that they, they text me. Right. And they're like, Hey bro, just wanted to remind you today. You have what it takes. Well, I thought I was your only person that called you bro. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> mostly, mostly. Yeah. And, no, um... and, and women are the same, right? There's been this m- movement with women as well, of like having each other's backs instead of being catty and nasty to each other. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're, we're learning and evolving. And I would invite right. all of your listeners yeah, to really pay attention to that. Conflict. They, you know, wrestle. And when yeah. girls have conflict, they do re- um, relationship damage, you know, totally. but my brother, I am so sad because I have, I have another commitment, but I could talk to you forever. And I know, well, this podcast is already going to be long. <laughs> no, it's all, no, I could talk to you forever because um, I love how we do go deep and, and my listeners have gotten insight into conversations that rock that Tyler and I will have after we like drive home from the National Speaker Association will be like, what do you think about this? And right. Yes. Oh, I like this. And and um, I'm thankful for your friendship. And I'm thankful Likewise. for the kind of man that you are and um, you. the goodness that you are in the world and the integrity in which you lend your life. And that is why you're my brother. Well, the feeling's mutual. I have good examples like you to learn from. So thank you. Well, um, Aubrey had already snatched you up as the, the ultimate woman in your life, but I'm off. I'm honored yeah, to be your sister. She's, she is, uh, like I knew she was special when I met her, but she is, she is so much better of a mom and a wife than I ever could have dreamed. She's, she's just, she's amazing. Okay.
Okay. I, I don't know how else to say it. How he's talking about his wife. She's he's got a... tears in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. We need to cut this part out. <laughs> nope. No, we're keeping it. We're keeping it. No, she really is. She's just, and, and I'm so grateful that through my experiences, she's, she's actually, I can honestly say she's my best friend. And it wasn't always that way because I would keep things bottled up and I didn't want to bother her with things. And that's one of the things I had to learn through anxiety is it forced me to open up and talk to her uh, about everything. And she, she is just incredible. And I'm so grateful that she's who she is and that she's, yeah, that she said yes all those years ago when I turned up the charm and, you know, lied to her to convince her to marry me. <laughs> That's how I feel about lover, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my brother. All right, we got to cut it off. Thank you so much, Leah. Tyler Heard, thank you so much for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. You're welcome. <laughs>